morning. It's finally kind of winter, huh? It's kind of nice. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started this morning. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance together with your people this morning to hear from your word. I pray that you'd speak to us, God, that you would move us, that you would change us, that you would empower us to do what you've called us to. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts as individuals and change our heart as a church, Lord, that you would give us the strength we need to follow your mission, your purpose for our lives. God, we need your help, as we always need your help. I need your help. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would be turning with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, as we continue walking through John's gospel together. Uh, This morning we come to the seventh and final sign that John provides for us. He provides seven signs within his gospel to to help us understand who Jesus is. Uh, If you don't know the purpose of John's gospel yet, if you're new with us this morning or maybe you just haven't uh, heard yet, the purpose of John's gospel is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. John tells us that's his purpose, and we see it over and over and over again. We are to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior coming into the world, that he is the Son of God, and when we believe on him, we have life in his name. And so that's the the purpose of his gospel, and that's why we're studying his gospel, so that we know more of who Jesus is and, and what he has called us to, and that we could walk with him. And so we have the last sign that uh, John's going to record for us, which is the raising of Lazarus. You're probably familiar with this story. If you're not familiar with this story, great, uh, because we'll, we'll walk through it this morning. Uh, another thing that John does for us is he gives us an I am statement. An I am statement, as you walk through John's gospel, Jesus declares who he is. Last week we saw that he said, I am the good shepherd. This week we're going to see him saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And so let's get started this morning. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. John 11, verse 1. We'll look through verse 5 to start off. 11, 1 through 5. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord... He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so it's clear as we open up this morning that Jesus is not even simply neutral toward this family. He loves this family. John makes it clear that Jesus loves his family. What we know from the Gospels is that this family loves Jesus. You think about Luke's Gospel. Jesus shows up on Martha's doorstep and she invites him and his boys in and feeds them. Right? She's busy about her work and Mary's sitting at his feet. Remember, she gets upset because Mary's not helping her. And then finally, you know, she walks through that with Jesus. But she shows hospitality towards Jesus and his disciples. And then John also tells us he skips ahead and he tells us that Mary is going to do something in John chapter 12. She's going to anoint Jesus and wipe his feet with her hair. And so this family is a family that loves Jesus, and it is a family who Jesus loves. These are his friends. They are a family that he has concern for. They are devoted to Jesus. 
He loves them. So we can understand that before we move any further because that is something we have to nail down before we get into this uh, passage of Scripture. John wants us to understand that Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And that's something else we need to understand before we move any forward. We need to understand that we are to trust His love for us. It is absolutely vital if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus that we trust his love for us. Because if we do not trust His love for us, it's really hard for us simply to follow Him. We're going to want to debate. We're going to want to argue. I, I mean, you, you think about the way that Satan tricked Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan comes up to Eve, and maybe Adam's standing there, and says, hey, God doesn't really love you. He doesn't say that outright, but what does he say? Hey, why don't you eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden? Well, you see, God only gave us one rule. He gave us this whole garden, and he said, don't eat of that one tree. And Satan's like, yes, because he doesn't really care about you. He knows that if you eat of that tree, that you'll be like him. He's holding out the best from you. He said, if we don't believe that Jesus really loves us, we don't really believe that God really loves us, we will have in the back of our mind this little voice that says, I think the reason God wants me to do this or doesn't want me to do that is because he's holding out the best from me. He doesn't actually love me. But the Bible is clear that Jesus does love us. That he does love you. God so loved you that he sent his own son to die for you. Jesus so loves you that he lays down his life for the sheep. When the, he sees the danger coming, he doesn't run away. He stays and he pays the price that is required for you. He loves you so much he keeps you breathing every day. In spite of the fact he doesn't have to. And some days maybe he shouldn't. His love is clear. His love is certain. But as we come to verse 6, we see that sometimes the Lord's love for us is confusing. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We agree that Jesus loves his family. We agree that Jesus knows his family is hurting. We agree that this family has reached out to Jesus to tell them that, he, that they are hurting and that they need his help. We agree that they're devoted to Jesus and that they love Jesus. But the confusing part is Jesus hears that they are in trouble and what's going on with them, and he hangs out where he is for two more days. So yes, Jesus loves his family, and yes, he's aware of their need, but instead of rushing to their aid, he chills where he is. Instead of rushing to their aid, he stays where he's at. That's confusing. His love is confusing. In fact, as you walk through this chapter, as we walk through this chapter, we're going to see everybody is confused by what Jesus says and what Jesus does. Look at verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant, he, uh, meant taking rest and sleep. And so in verse 14 we read, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, 
but let us go to him. And then verse 16, So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. So we come to our first point this morning, which is we're called to trust him, or we're called to trust his love when his directions are confusing. We're called to trust his love when, his, when he is leading us in a place that doesn't make sense, when we are confused by his directions. This is true of the disciples. Think about what's going through their minds. They hear Lazarus is sick. Jesus' response is, eh, it's not a sickness that leads to death. And so they get back to work for two more days, casting out demons, healing, whatever they were doing. When all of a sudden, two days later, Jesus says, hey boys, let's go back over to Judea. And then the response in verse 8 that we just read is, uh, Jesus, you know that's where people want to kill you live, right? Like, you, you know we just left there and they had rocks with your name on them. Well, like, why, why would you ever want to go back there? That's a pretty good question, isn't it, if you're a disciple? Like, Jesus, don't you, I mean, Lazarus is sick, I get that, but we've been hanging out for two days, you don't seem worried, and where you want us to go seems kind of dangerous. That's a legitimate question. And so, but Jesus, he says, let's go back. So why does he say, let's go back? Look at, look at verse 11. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go to awake him. And so we see more of their confusion. And, and so he wants to go back to Judea. At first, it seems to the disciples, where people want to kill him because Lazarus is asleep. They think that he's asleep. They're like, hey, he can get his own alarm clock. If he was asleep, he, he needs some rest. This is not our problem. They're confused why Jesus would want them to risk their lives and his lives to go wake Lazarus up from a nap. Because there are times when the Lord leads us to do things or calls us to do things that don't make a whole lot of sense because we don't fully understand what he's calling us to do. They're going back to, to Jesus knows to raise Lazarus from the dead. But they don't fully understand that yet. Don't fully comprehend that. They think they need to put Jesus in his place. When the truth is they simply need to trust him. And we all find ourselves in those places where we just simply have to trust Him. We don't know what He's up to, and we just have to keep walking the straight line that He's put in front of us. And so in verses 14 and 15, He makes it clear what's going on. He says, listen, Lazarus has died. Guys, th there's hope for us this morning. As you look at the disciples and the apostles, they're clueless, right? I mean, they're walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus every day, and they always look foolish. There's a little hope for me in that. Like, if these guys look like this, I might be okay. Well, and, and I, don't, I may not understand everything, but that's okay. Neither did these guys. And so Jesus tells them the reasoning behind this whole ordeal. He says that he's glad that they weren't there so that they would believe, so that they would see the glory of God and believe. What is John's purpose? Well, it's actually Jesus' purpose, that his people would believe, that they would trust. They had been following and listening but their faith wasn't quite complete. They, they, did, they understood the truth, sort of, but they didn't fully grasp it. And the same thing is true for us. There's times that Jesus leads us down paths that don't fully make sense when we first start going down them, am I right? Like There are times you're like, I do not get this. I do not understand why he's leading me in this way. I don't understand why he wants me to do this. I don't understand why somebody else couldn't do it. All those different things. But then when we come to the end of it, it's like, oh, that's what he was doing. Maybe the reason he's leading you into this place of danger, this place of trouble, 
is so that you can have a greater and a deeper understanding of who He is. So we're called to trust and follow His confusing directions because we don't always understand what He's about, but also because we don't always fully grasp His power. I love Thomas's words, so I'm going to look at him again. Thomas said, okay, let's go with him so that we can die also. Thomas, he doesn't fully understand the power of Jesus just yet, does he? He's a bit confused. He's willing to go, but he's not so sure things are going to end well. He, he's the worst-case scenario kind of guy. Like, no matter what you come up with, he always immediately goes to what could possibly be the worst thing that could happen and assumes that's what's going to happen. We know people like that, right? Some of us are people like that. You see, when we can't see how God's going to work something out for the best, sometimes we tend to assume the worst. We forget about His power. When we, and this is where faith comes in, if you think about it, like when we can't see A to Z, how all the little steps are going to go and how we can control everything and make it all work out for the best, we tend to hide back with Thomas and be like, well, I'm going to do it, but it's probably going to kill me. Instead of, saying, Lord, you have this, you know what's going on, you can work all these things out for uh, the good of those who love you who are called according to your purpose. Thomas is confused about the power of Christ, just like we are. When he calls us to do things that are beyond what we're able to do, we need to remember his power. We need to remember we don't always understand everything. Now, now look at verse 20, 17, because it's not just his directions that confuse us. Sometimes it's also his timing. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Here we see, secondly, that we're called to trust his love when his timing confuses us. Think about what John tells us here. He tells us that Lazarus has been dead four days. He's dead dead. He's not half dead. He's not partially dead. He is dead dead. Uh, and so he is completely dead. There is no hope of him being uh, revived. And so in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so immediately when she hears that Jesus is coming, Jewish tradition would have had her stay and wait on him. But instead she gets up and runs out the door. She cannot sit still. We see Martha again, right? Some of us are that person that can't sit still. We've got to go do. We've got to go and, and meet. And Mary, she stays seated. And so Martha runs out and she says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice she doesn't correct Jesus. You notice she doesn't blame Jesus completely. You could have stopped it, but you didn't. You didn't show up when you were called. You didn't show up when we needed you. Look what the next verse says. Verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She hasn't stopped trusting Jesus. She's still saying, I believe in you. I still know that you can do whatever needs to be done. But she's hurting. She's, she's wondering. She's confused why Jesus didn't show up when he should have, in her mind, shown up. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Don't, I mean, and we'll see this all through this. Don't you love the, the, the patience and the kindness of Christ towards those who are slow to come around to understand what he's doing and slow to just simply trust him? We're talking about love this morning in Sunday school and about being patient and kind. Jesus is the perfect example of this. 
He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, you know, Martha, I had planned to do something pretty cool, but since you're out here accusing me, I guess we're not going to. No, he actually uh, still cares for her, and he still is trying to comfort her. He said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Jesus comforts her with, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, yeah, 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 I know. That's way on down the line. doesn't do me much good today. Little comfort it provides in the here and now. She, she's basically saying what she felt like she was supposed to, say. I, supposed to say. I, I, you guys know what I'm talking about, like, where you know you're supposed to say, oh, you know, all things work together for good. Or, you know, I'm just going to let go and let God. Or I'm going to share this Facebook meme or whatever. We, we, it's not that you don't really believe it. But then again, you're not real sure. It's sort of like your head knows it, but your heart isn't sure. Like, head knowledge doesn't mend a broken heart. And there are times where our, our trust in Jesus doesn't get much lower than our head. And, and it's in those times where we need this trust in Him that goes past our head to our heart in these confusing times. You see, Jesus is speaking to Martha so that her heart can catch up to her head. So that she can fully internalize who Jesus really is. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just here to talk about the resurrection. He's not just here to talk about the future resurrection. He's here to be the resurrection. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? Jesus says to Martha, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait on a future resurrection. He is saying that he is the resurrection. Resurrection is not an event. Resurrection apparently is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who brings us back from the life. He is the one who was resurrected. He is the one who will resurrect us. And he's saying resurrection and life is standing in front of you, Martha. Do you believe this? So look at verse 27. Look at, look at her response. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. We ought to recognize that from somewhere, aren't we? Every week, what we talk about, we are reading this so that we will believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, we'd have life in his name. Martha says she believes this. She says that she believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's at least here. Not sure if it's made it down here yet. So she goes and she gets Mary. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And so you get this picture of Martha going back in the house and just kind of going privately to Mary and saying, Hey, Jesus is here. He wants to talk with you. Why don't you come with me? So Mary gets up to leave to go talk to Jesus. Let's get to verse 30. Hang with me. We're, we're, we're getting uh, towards the end here where I want you to see what Jesus is doing. Verse 30, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And so what we see is Mary getting up and leaving, and when she gets up and leaves, everybody assumes she's going back to the tomb, so they're like, oh, our job's to comfort her, so we're going to go with her. So they all follow her out. Uh, and so she has this big crowd of people that's following her to meet Jesus. Look at verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
She says the same thing that Martha had said. Jesus, if you'd been here, you could have saved him. If you'd just shown up on time, all this would have worked out fine. What's she saying? She's saying the same thing Martha said. You're late. Before we go further, I want us to think about Mary and Martha because I think sometimes we get a little harsh on them. We need to understand what they've been through. I, I don't know exactly the family relationship they had. I mean, it seems to me at least partially like Martha's the, the older sister who either her and Mary raised Lazarus together or what for whatever reason these three siblings end up living together and they develop these deep relationships with one another. And so, because, you know, like when, in Luke's gospel, when Jesus goes, it says Martha's house. It doesn't say Lazarus's house. Either way, it's obvious that they had this deep relationship with their brother, this deep love for their brother. And so imagine yourself in their shoes. They, they had watched Lazarus come down with the sickness. Nobody can help them. It's a fast-moving sickness. They had been supporting Jesus in his ministry of healing all these people. And they'd watched as he had done all these different miracles. And so they say, we know exactly what we need to do. Get a messenger, tell him to run to the teacher, and tell him, he who you love is sick. And we know Jesus will take care of it. Like they have faith, right? They're acting in faith. It's not, it's not like they don't think Jesus is going to help them. They are convinced that Jesus will fix this for them. And so they wait. And the messenger comes back and he says, Hey, I told him, but he told me, or he told his disciples at least, this is not a sickness that leads to death. Oh, okay, well, maybe he knows something we don't. We'll wait. And so then they watch as their brother, who they love so very much, keeps going downhill until he dies. Like every time they go in to change the bedclothes and, and make sure he has water and listen to him moan and groan and suffer, they have one eye on the road. Jesus will come. He will. He won't leave us. He loves us. He cares for us. Then the day comes that Lazarus dies. They bury him and Jesus still hasn't shown up. Then two days later, Jesus does finally show up. Let's be honest this morning. I feel for Mary and Martha. I can imagine that they are a bit confused at this point. Lord, where were you? Why were you a no-show? I thought you cared about me. Why didn't you, why didn't you come? Why didn't you show up? If we're, if we're honest this morning, we can understand. We've had those moments with God of, God, what is going on? Why did you not show up? Why did you not help me in that moment? Why have you allowed me to suffer like this? Why did you allow them to suffer like this? God, why would you let something like this happen? And we may ask that of Him. You know, why, why can't I find a job? Why can't I find a spouse? Why can we not have kids? What, what is it, Lord? Why, why, why? Is it my fault? What's going on? Why would you allow this? I thought you loved me. That's, that's the question that is in front of us this morning. If we, if we truly believe that Jesus loves us, it will, our suffering, our pain, our struggles will cause us to run to him. If we're not so sure, we may very well find ourselves running away. We see in Mary and Martha, they run to Jesus with their struggles. They don't run away. Even though things are confusing, the disciples, they're confused. They're going with him anyway. They think to their death. Mary and Martha are confused. They trust him anyway because they know that at the end of the day, he does love them. And so let me give you our final point this morning. Trusting the love of Christ gives us confidence. Trusting the love of Christ gives us confidence, period. Not the punctuation mark, like the word, period. There's nothing that could happen to cause us not to have confidence if we trust the love of Christ. 
Paul tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Uh, Nothing, not persecution, not famine, nothing, not sickness, not death, nothing can separate us from His love. There is nothing we go through in this world that can shake us if we have confidence that our Savior loves us. And so I want you to see this. Look at verse 33. This is where we see this kind of all unravel for us here. Verse 33, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. By the way, if you ever need a good, quick memory verse, here we go, right? 1135, Jesus wept. We can all memorize that verse. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So twice we read here that Jesus was deeply moved. Now I don't mean to get all Greek on you here, but uh, the word in the Greek literally means that he was angry. Like, Everywhere else we ever see it, it means anger. In fact, the way they used it in classical Greek was to describe the action of a horse being angry and snorting. I was trying to demonstrate this to Crystal this week, and I'm not going to do that for y'all. It was not pretty. So, I mean, you you get the idea, like a, a horse snorting, they're so upset. Jesus is angry as he stands there outside the tomb of his friend who has died. And you may say, why is that? You know, some people say, well, it's these mourners. They're a bunch of hypocritical mourners. I I don't think it's the mourners. And some say, well, it's the unbelief of the people around him. And and I mean, it could be. I'm I'm sure that's part of it. But guys, I mean, if this is going to create this reaction in Jesus, it seems like it would create it his entire time he walked on the earth. Like wherever, I mean, there's what, like two or three places where people actually get who he is and what he's doing. So I don't think that's it. The best answer is, that as he looks at the effects of sin on his sheep, he loves them so much, it makes him furious. You see, when we think of God's anger over our sin, I think sometimes we, we think of it in the same terms as a judge or, or a parent is, that's upset or disappointed or something like that because we broke the rules. But, but you have to remember the actual results of sin. Death. Sin destroys us. It destroys our relationships with other people. It destroys our relationship with God. And ultimately, it destroys our lives. I I believe that the love that Christ has for these people and for Lazarus in particular makes him furious. I I know, and I think I may be, I don't, I may be weird, but I don't, maybe some of you parents can relate. Like, when my kids get hurt, my first response is anger. Not anger at them, but anger at the fact that they got hurt. Like, it, nothing cuts me deeper. I don't know, maybe I'm just messed up. But, like, I really, whether it's their fault or not, it doesn't matter. When I see my kids hurting, they just does something in me. Like, it messes me up emotionally. I picture that's what's going on with Jesus. As he sees the hurt in Martha and Mary's eyes, as he thinks about the hurt and the pain that Lazarus went through. Imagine our Lord in his humanity is experiencing the heartbreak over the pain that his sheep have brought on themselves. He loves us so much that it makes him angry to see us hurting, even if it is our fault. Of course, everyone is still confused, right? I mean, as he's sitting there weeping, the Jews are like, look how much he loved him. Well, if he loved him, why didn't he heal him? Couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? He's sitting there showing his love and his compassion for his sheep. They still don't get it. They're still confused. Look at verse 39. They're about to get it. Jesus said, take away the stone." Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, 
Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Martha is very practical. Remember, she said, I believe you are the resurrection and the life. I believe you're the Savior of the world. But when it comes time to open the tomb, to quote the King James Version, he stinketh. Like, I'm not so sure this is a good idea. You see, up to this point, the idea of the resurrection is still theory. Up to the point, the idea that Jesus could literally raise the dead, it sounds good. Like when we talk about a thousand years or a hundred years or at the end of our life after we're dead, resurrection is kind of easy to believe. It's not so easy to believe when you actually see it take place. I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. He's wanting her to move from theory to actually understanding who he is. He's actually able to raise the dead. It's not just something you talk about. It's something he's able to do. Look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. Purpose clause again. That they may believe. He prays for their behalf. Verse 43. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. I love the fact that Jesus calls him by name. Remember chapter 10. The good shepherd knows his sheep, and he calls them by name. Lazarus has been dead in a tomb for four days. But when Jesus calls his name, he gets up and walks out. Even in death, we know the voice of our shepherd. Of course, Lazarus is still wrapped in grave clothes, and so he tells him to get all those things off that have to do with death and and all those things because he has raised him from the dead. Guys, as we look at this passage, it's an amazing passage. It's a miraculous passage of who who our Savior is and what he's able to do. But I want us to understand how we can avoid the confusion that we fall into when we begin to wonder if Jesus is really leading us rightly and if he's really on time. We need to understand, first off, that God is not the author of sin. He's not the one who created these terrible things in your life. We live in a broken-to-pieces world because of sin. Sin is part of our life, and its destructive power is something we are going to experience. No matter where the Lord leads you, it's going to be hard. If you're serving the Lord, it's going to be hard. You know why it's going to be hard? Because there's this person in this world named Satan who hates the Lord and he hates all those who serve him. So he's going to make it hard. It's going to be dangerous to serve the Lord. In Hot Springs, Arkansas, Iraq, it doesn't matter. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. No matter where he leads you, it's going to be a challenge. Not only that, our, our, our purpose and our trust in him isn't that he's going to make everything good and make everything easy think about this jesus raised lazarus from the dead but lazarus still died he's gonna die you see our our hope and trust in the lord is not that bad things will never happen and that the people that we love will never die and that we will never die or never experience pain our hope and our faith and our trust is that we serve a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep the one who is the resurrection and the life. Our hope is not that our present situation or our future situation is going to get better and that all of our dreams will come true. It is the fact that the one who loves us has promised that he'll walk with us through no matter what happens and that if the worst should happen, if we should pass from this life into the next, 
that we will see him waiting for us and that we will live with him forever. That is our hope. That is what we have this morning. This is our hope for right here and right now. It's not that everything's going to work out how we want it to because we know that's not the case, right? Our hope is that Jesus is good and that he loves us and he knows what he's doing and that he cares for us and he's going to take care of all that for us. That's our hope this morning. Our hope is not our future dreams. Our hope is the present reality that we have a Savior who's died in our place and offered us eternal life. We're all headed to where Lazarus ended up, the grave. The question you have to answer for yourself this morning is this. Are you prepared? Have you made preparations for your funeral? Have you asked the Lord to save you? Have you asked Him to provide you with salvation and with life for eternity? We know that Jesus went to the cross and he died in our place so that we don't have to die, so we can live with him forever in eternity. Have you asked him to save you? And if you have, are you trusting him? Are you trusting to lead you and to guide you? Or are you simply only trusting when you know all the details and know all the answers to what's going to happen? Maybe this morning you need to repent and say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to figure out what to do without asking you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to depend on you. Maybe this morning you need to ask him, Lord, help me to get it, get the knowledge out of my head and help me to truly believe it in my heart. Give me that grace, Lord. Whatever it is God is calling you to, I pray and I hope that you will do business with him this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you that no matter what, we can trust you and depend on you. Lord, I, I thank you that at the end of the day, no matter what comes, God, that we have this promise that you love us and that you care for us. Lord, I pray that we would know that more today than we did before we came in. God, that we would depend on you more each and every day and that we would just allow you to lead us where you want us to be. God, that you would guide us where you want us to be. And Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts to do the things you've called us to do instead of the things that are easy. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You would stand with us, and as you stand, we're going to sing. During this time, if you need to come and pray at the altar, you